This morning I'd like to invite you all to read with me because um, when I was doing my hair this morning, um, it just occurred to me that to meet around God's word and warm our hearts around God's word um, is a wonderful way for the Lord to speak to each of us personally. And it's one thing for me to stand here and read to you, um, and it's very easy, I know it for myself, to listen and to have my mind um, distracted as well. So if you'd like to, pick up your Bibles and um, open to page 860, and we're reading from uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Does someone give a page number, please? I did. Right, it's all right, you can listen. <laughs> so, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, faith brings joy. Let's do it together. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. This St. Andrew's is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to open your word today, we humbly ask as a congregation that you would open our hearts. We recognize that for something truly transformative to happen, it is a combination of us making a decision of the will to listen. It is a combination of your word being faithfully, accurately, and truthfully proclaimed by the person who's up the front. And above all, it is the mysterious work of your spirit that comes and grabs those words and makes it come alive in us. And Lord, we know that Jesus has given that parable of the sower to give the different sorts of soil that exist out in this congregation this morning and indeed in my heart. And so Lord, I humbly ask you that whether someone's listening via podcast, uh, different people around the world for whatever reason are tuning in, or via YouTube or here in this building, that at whatever time or space that you by your spirit make us good soil, that what I say today would be pleasing in your sight, faithful to you, and that by your Spirit would enter people's hearts. So come, Holy Spirit, do that which only you can do. And in particular, I pray that this morning there would be, by your Spirit, for your glory, both an incredible realization of the depth of the problem that we are in without you, the depth of our sickness that we are in without you, and also the extent of what you have done for us and the resultant joy, absolute joy, that should overwhelm every heart once we realize how much you truly love us. So Lord, I pray against me any sort of emotional manipulation or any sense of me trying to, to foister something on. I pray that, Lord, that I would, be, I would be restrained a bit, but nevertheless... By your spirit, you would do a work this morning and that there would perhaps be one person who walked in, this is just another Sunday morning, but when they walk out of this building this morning, by your spirit, they would be changed. And perhaps there might be more than one, but I'll take one, Lord. I'll take one. 
In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the Christian faith should produce a deep sense of joy, welling joy in our heart, confidence and a hope no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what has happened in your life. So why is it, you know, reflecting on my own personal life, I have struggled at times for joy. I turn up to church, there's apathy. I was like, oh, well, there's another sermon. And, you, and sometimes I can tune out so quick. Why is it, you know, I, I remember, you know, it was just life issues are getting me down. And, and Catherine sort of just remarked, said, wow, someone's full of the joy of the Lord this morning. It was my whole face was just like, mm, like this, you know. And so why is it that thinking of myself, at least, I can't speak for you. I can often, I, you know, you hear me saying it's because I only feel I have the right to speak for myself. Why is it I struggle, owning it personally, to have this overwhelming joy? Or to put it another way, how can I, and perhaps you, how can we grow in our joy in the Lord this morning? So he played the video, and that was the, as, a, as an introduction, that was the first four chapters of Romans. This year, in that little empty slot, we're going to be covering chapters 5 to 8. And in this paragraph, which I thought was lovely that we all got to read it together, Paul seems infected, overwhelmed with a joy, right? This is not just a religious man reading a religious text. Oh, this is what the Lord said. There is a joy that's gripped him. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. What was the cause of this joy? Well, it's in the paragraph, and in fact, it's in all of the previous chapters we looked at last year. As Paul was reflecting on the brokenness of humanity, and I loved how the Bible project did it. He said the Roman world, you see Paul, if you remember those hard-hitting verses talking about Rome in the first century AD, which could be many Western countries today. He talked about this profound brokenness and descent down, and it's so hard-hitting. And of course, he knew there were Jewish people in the congregation who were looking on these religious people. Yes, these evil people out there in the Geraldine community, they're all going to hell. They're all very bad people. And then Paul goes and says, you're just as bad. In fact, you're more guilty because you know right from wrong, but you choose wrong. And he says, all humanity, both religious and non-religious, Jews and Gentiles, stand under the condemnation of God. So how did that produce joy in Paul's heart? Because he came to a realization of what Christ had done for him. So thinking of Paul personally, his own journey was he was super religious and out of that religious zeal was going around and killing and persecuting Christians. And he had become, through his actions, and he was an enemy of God. Jesus was his enemy. He was out to persecute him. In fact, on the Damascus Road encounter, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then after that Damascus Road encounter, because of God's love and an incredible thing, he was saved. And so he realized, I've come from a place of enmity and hostility to God to a place of acceptance and forgiveness. And this wasn't just the case for him, but for everyone. Let's hear him speak. Because of our faith, 
because we've received and said yes to Jesus, Christ has also brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This, 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 is a, this joy is infused. In fact, Luther, who was the uh, uh, person with the Reformation of the 15th century, said Paul speaks as someone who's extremely happy, full of joy. Another commentator, he's saying that actually almost Paul's almost singing this paragraph. And so Paul introduced the Ephesians. Ephesians summarizes really quite nicely the, sort of, the, the situation we're in and then what Jesus has done and then the resultant joy. Let me read to you the Ephesians because it's, some, it's a good summary instead of reading you the first few chapters of Romans. Let me just read this to you. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even when we were dead in our sins, he gave us life and raised Christ from the dead. For it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So in the Ephesians passage, just like in those opening chapters of Romans, it talks about the anger of God against sinners, this bad news, then paved the way for the good news that is offered. I have to say, that as I reflect on my pre-Jesus state, when I would hear preachers talk about the anger of God, there would be just like this welling. Have you ever had this sort of welling sense of anger? It's like, oh, you're just foisting emotional guilt on me. You think I'm going to be sucked into that? I remember, it's like, I'd say like, well, you know, God's not angry at me. I'm a good person. It's like, this is just emotional guilt that you're foistering on me. And I feel that resentment, and I'm just like this. I'm like, wow, I'm not going to be sucked into this. That was in my attitude. But for Paul, he realized that, that God's anger is his just and righteous anger against the injustice that happens in the world. And God is justly angering it. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, while we're still sinners, by grace, not because we cleaned up our lives, took this punishment we deserved from God's wrath and that this is a key aspect of the gospel. So let me perhaps give you uh, and and I, I want to, I've got some new news in relation to Catherine, and I want to give this new news, and I want to give it as an illustration of why the, this bad news caused good news and joy in Paul's life, because it's going to work, I hope. I hope. Be with you. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. All right. So last year, everyone that's visiting, we, Catherine and I turned up uh, to a doctor's surgery. It was the outpatient's clinic. You go in through the front door at Timaru Hospital, sign in, go to the, the reception, and there we are. And they said, yes, go and wait in the queue. And then we walked in. And Catherine and I walked in. It was my daughter's 21st birthday. And straight after that meeting, we were walking in to celebrate her 21st birthday with all these people. And there we are sitting down. And the doctor then said, and said, I have some bad news that, Catherine, you've got cancer. It's gone to your lungs and lymph nodes. It's terminal. There's nothing we can do. You've got six months to live. Imagine walking in and getting hit with that. And it said, it's, it said that we're offering you palliative chemotherapy. You need to go talk to the oncologist. We found out later from the oncologist she offered us 90 days extra if we did two courses of doublet chemotherapy. She later extended it to six months. But, you know, we were like, Catherine was like, 90 days to go through all of that? <laughs> Forget it. But I, rem I remember her sitting there. It was, it was, I was hit by this absolute shocking news, and I was well gripped, Catherine and I, and then we had to go straight out to celebrate Grace's 21st birthday party. It was extremely hard to hold it together. 
And then later on, uh, we, we got the review information. We sent it off to the life insurance company. Life insurance companies, insurance companies never want to pay out. They always like taking your money, but never like paying out. So they had to review all the details to make sure that Catherine really was poorly and was definitely going to be dead in six months. Their whole medical team reviewed all the notes and then said, yes, we think she is definitely going to die. So they gave us their life insurance money. And we met with the, I remember meeting with the funeral director last year and Catherine choosing the color of her casket. She wanted what color? Guess what color she wanted? There you know. People know. And anyway, so there it was. And, and so he was, she was the dot that... The, the funeral director, because I'd seen people drop you know, with the extent, I'd seen that people dropped in eight weeks from diagnosis would go downhill really fast. And so we, there we were, it was surreal sitting in, in the lounge with, with the a funeral director filling in 80% of Catherine's death certificate notice. Can you just picture the, the, the extent of how the bad news, right? That's the worst news I've ever received in my life, right? So over the summer... I'd actually said to Jason, I said, Jason and the elders, I don't want any extra prayer for me that you wouldn't do for anyone else in the church. The minister is not special. The man's family is not special. There shouldn't be any special prayer meetings for us. Jason didn't listen. They still had a special prayer meeting for me. I was thinking, you all prayed so much. I'm really thankful. But I just didn't want someone who's sitting in the pew today who's going through a life crisis to feel that I get something that you don't when you're going through a crisis because there are people at times who are hurt in churches and the church isn't there for them in a way that's meaningful for them. And I felt that at times, and I didn't want you to go through something. I only want to be on the same level as you. Does that make sense? Anyway, so you prayed, and then over the summer I was praying, and I felt that perhaps, you know, I've seen, I love our Pentecostal friends, I really do. And one thing I love is they believe in the power of God, but occasionally they can believe God is going to heal someone when God doesn't. You guys encountered that before? And it can create a dishonoring I said, well, Lord, I, we accept if Catherine's time's come. And in the midst of all of this journey, I was praying, and, I was, and particularly I was praying for the cancer count, but I said, Lord, if you're going to heal Catherine, that's what I prayed. I'm not saying what's going to take place. The Lord knows the future. But I said, Lord, if you're going to heal her, I really pray that miraculously, beyond circumstances, you would lower that cancer count as a sign that you're actually doing something here. And then there's going to at least be a significant extension. That would be against all odds. We walked in all right, to the doctor's surgery. Last week, or was it just the week before, within the last few days? And there we were, we walked in, and the doctors said, I, I don't know how to explain it, it's very surprising, but there's been a massive drop in your cancer count. Now, now I'm not saying I said this out loud to the doctors, I said some things to them. Uh, um, Catherine was like trying to calm me down, so I know that, but inside, I felt like I had these electric shocks of joy. It was like, That's my God! That's my Jesus! Yeah, he can do anything. And I thought, and I, and I, and I, and I, I think I did say this to the doctor, you'd put her on death row. You'd put her off on the way. The plan was the chemotherapy, palliative, hospice care, a palliative, then a funeral director. But this is my Jesus. Something along those lines, words went out. I was people looking at me crazy, but it wasn't quite that. But Catherine was like, I think you need to apologize to the doctor after. They're like, I'm not apologizing. And um, so I was just a little bit amped up. But why was the cause of that? It was joy. Now, I'm not saying that Catherine is going to be healed or not. I don't know. I'm not boasting about tomorrow, but I can tell you what I felt then. That's true. Now, how? Now, listen, you're with me still. Are you with me? Now, how does that relate to Paul? Now, get this. If I, if I had gone in, if the doctors in university had discovered that telling people that you're terminal, that you've got, you're seriously sick, is just bad news. It makes people depressed and people upset. And so imagine 
So the doctors said, there's a new thing. Anyone that walks into hospital, you just tell them that they're well. In fact, you can self-identify as well. Don't worry about biological reality. Just choose to be well. Say you're well. So imagine everyone wants to Catherine walks into hospital. Just get this. The doctors then say, no, you're good. You're sweet. You're good enough. You've got it together. There's no problem. You're not sick. Don't believe that. Walk out. Here's the question. Follow me. Is that truly good news? It's not. The reason it's not good news is not reality. It's not reality. The bad news of walking into that surgery and getting the worst news in my life was that was firstly it was reality, backed up by the, um, the insurance team, medical team that went over the notes with a fine tooth comb to make sure that Catherine really is going to die uh, from their perspective before they release the life insurance money. If you're going to get healing, I suggest you always get your healing after you get your life insurance money. Just, just suggesting that. <laughs> anyway, but... but just, you know, just you know, if you're thinking about things, no, no, wait, 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 let me get the life insurance, then you can pray. Um, you know, just, you know. Anyway, so with the, that, the good news only made sense when we received the bad news and understood the gravity. Now, may I suggest to you, I've got, and this is the bad news, I have a soul sickness. It's terminal. I am, I am a son and daughter of Adam and Eve, and I have a soul sickness and you know what? You do too. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you've been in church lots, or this is the first time, you are deeply sick. And that is the nature, and the sickness is called sin. And, where, and only when you understand that do you understand Jesus' words. It's not those who think they're okay that go to a doctor. It's those who know they're sick. And Jesus is the best physician. And so if, imagine, you went in and you heard the news that you're going to be dead in six months and Dr. Jesus was there and he said, but I can heal you. Did that bad news then becomes good news? And then you, I didn't quite jump on the seat, but I wanted to go like this. That's my God. I was just, I was overwhelmed with joy. And I was just like dancing. And I know this sounds real crazy, but Catherine later in the week was telling me off about doing the dishes wrong. And I was sitting there going, oh, Jesus, thank you. It's possible that you're going to heal Catherine. And for the next 30 years, she's going to be able to tell me off about lots of things. I was like, I was that happy. I was like, thank you, Lord, that you gave me a wife that can tell me off about doing things wrong. I'm thankful. Because I was so grateful. That joy only came when I understood the gravity of the bad news. And for Paul, he calls himself the worst of sinners. He was on death row. He was an enemy of God, but Jesus Christ had mercy on him. And that mercy filled him with joy. So why is it that Christians have apathy? Why is it they can just be like meh about the Christian faith? There's a number of reasons. One is they have never understood the gospel. They've never understood it. So I've got a question. Do you know the gospel? If you have not had a time in your life with the joy, something of that. Now, I'm not trying to manufacture something. That's why I prayed against it. I don't want to foist something from the flesh upon you. But I want you to say, Lord, do I know the gospel? Do I know the extent of what you've delivered me from? Do, do I visualize walking into the surgery that I'm hearing I've got on death row and that gravity of that? But then we've been saved, set free, forgiven, and the joy of that. So perhaps there's someone here, you've been to church for many years and not once has the gospel sunk into your heart. May I suggest that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to call on the name of the Lord. You're not promised tomorrow. 
And there are others here, and it's later written in Revelation, of people who'd lost their first love. They once knew this, but all the cares and pleasures of the world, apathy, concerns, things, hurts and churches, sucked that love out. Come back to Jesus Christ today, because nothing the world offers compares to the joy and grace and love that you can receive from our Saviour. And so as I walked out, I'm driving, and I felt those electric shocks of joy. It's never quite gone away. But I had to say, as I was reflecting on that, I felt, I, and this was a conviction for me, I realized that perhaps I'd received more joy in that moment than I had on the day of my salvation than the feelings that I had. And I felt, Lord, I need to cultivate in my heart a gratitude for what you have done for me. I need to work on this. And so all this last week, I've been like, Lord, thank you. I'm saying, thank you. Even if Catherine dies tomorrow, she goes to glory. That actually the real problem has been dealt with, and that is sin. We're all going to die. But when we die, we go to be with the Lord and let that joy, let that peace, let it come out and well out, not because of emotional manipulation or a sermon or, or anything like that, but because of the Spirit's work in the heart. And so Paul had peace with God. He was no longer an enemy because of all the actions he had done. Do you have peace with God? He had joy of the Lord reflecting on the forgiveness. Do you have that? And he was reflecting on where he was going, an eternity with the glory of the Lord. And in comparable weight is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that, Lord, it would sit on our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that if there is one person here who hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, I pray that, Lord, as they're sitting in the pew, they may be sweating and they're realizing this is them they're talking about. I pray you would convict them and that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, if there are people here this morning who realize that they, their love to you has grown cold, they once loved you with a passionate fervor, but everything else is crowding on in. I pray that today would be repentance and today would be a move of your spirit on them and that you would restore to them the, their first love. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.